The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Hello? Hey, Fred. Hi, it's the mayor. Good morning. Am I waking you up? Yes. Oh, well, let me be the first to say good morning. Okay. Hey, um, I wanted to know if I could invite you to brunch this morning. Just as a thank you for all you've done for the city. Where do you want to meet? That brunch place down on Deacon. We get to, say, around 9 o'clock. Oh. Is that going to work? Okay. Okay, good. Hey, listen, if you see Carrie, would you tell her to, please? Yeah. Um, hold on. Carrie? Carrie? Huh? Carrie? Huh? Oh, yeah. Hey, the mayor's calling. He's inviting us to brunch. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, that sounds great. Okay, on my way. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, January 25th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be we're joined in studio by Amir Farahi, Executive Director of the London Institute, no stranger to our show. Welcome, Amir. Thank you. I guess we're going to be talking about the state of the City of London, which is not so different from the state of many cities, but perhaps it is, and we'll find out soon. But before we begin our discussion, don't forget you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. So, Amir, I don't care if you live in Sacramento, California, Philadelphia, PA, Toronto, Ontario, or St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, every city has a mayor that embellishes its positives and either ignores or downplays its negatives. In London, Ontario, where we sit, is no exception. We've got a mayor, low in the polls, we'll talk about that later, liberal, progressive, lefty, and he's had a recent State of Union address. And I'll just challenge our listeners to, t- to listen to what Amir has to say about the sleepy, moderately pleasant town of London, <laughs> Ontario, and let's just think of your own city, and I bet you the parallels will be there. We're going to be talking about the so-called State of the City Address, NAFTA and the U.S. tax cuts, how they might affect us here across the border in Canada, bus rapid transit, a favorite for anybody who's a, f- a fan of uh, <laughs> the Simpsons and the old monorail song, because we're going through that nonsense here in London, Ontario, as I'm sure that many cities have across this continent and perhaps even Europe. So, Amir, our mayor, Matt Brown, give us the state of the mayor address, please. The mayor came out last week and gave a state of the city address, as he does and as every mayor does annually in the month of January. And instead of talking about what he has done over the past year, instead of talking about the problems that exist in the city, his plans on how to fix them, his track record, his achievements on what sort of progress we've seen in the city. 
he decided to take credit where credit certainly wasn't due, point out to a number of companies in the city, in the business sector in London, Ontario, and talk about their successes as his successes. Even though the many entrepreneurs, small businesses, medium and large-scale businesses in London have had to work endless hours, have had to jump through the barriers imposed by the local municipality or the province of Ontario with Kathleen Wynne and the Liberal government, number of barriers are posed on these, imposed on these businesses, yet they have been doing their best to continue to grow. There has been absolutely no influence, positive or negative, whether the mayor exists or not, these businesses would be thriving. And those are specifically chosen businesses that the mayor thought would come to his help for this upcoming election. Because you have to realize that when these state of the city addresses are given to the public, what the mayor does is he basically puts together a list of companies or people, influential people, groups and associations that he can point to and say, wow, look at the fantastic job they're doing so that he can stroke their ego. And so when it comes to the election time, he can ask them for resources, manpower and strategic advice. So uh, that's what we saw happen in London. I'm sure it's... You know, it's funny you brought that up because this brings me back to one of my very first political memories of my lifetime, honestly. And that was when I started working at a company called Canada Permanent Trust. And we opened a branch in downtown London. And then in come all the mayors and the, and the officialdom. And they come and they cut ribbons as though it were their branch and that they opened it. And I remember we were standing behind the counters going, what the hell are these guys doing here? You know, because they certainly weren't any friends of ours, right? right. And they were all taking credit. They get, they, they get their pictures in the paper. Mm-hmm. What are they actually offering? I find this city is very anti entrepreneurs and very pro drawing government money into the city and making the whole city one big uh, government enterprise, which I think is what's dragging the city down. It's interesting that you mentioned that if you look at the makeup of the city, sometimes we get called a conservative city. And I don't understand how we're conservative in any way, shape or form. When I look, That's, that's an old uh, estimation of London. Very it old. really was um, pre, pre-1980s or pre-1990, I would say we were very conservative. But that's that's changed completely. Yes, absolutely. unless they meant progressive conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasis on the progressive yeah. nowadays. So uh, you look at a city like London, and you actually the first thing you should do is is look at well who are, who are our MPPs and MPs, members of provincial mm-hmm. parliament and members of parliament, and they tend to always be either liberal or NDP. Um, yeah, I mean in the previous federal election we had it, we had conservative MPs, but. Uh, if you look at it generally, we are pretty much a, a left-leaning city when it comes to provincial and federal elections. Then you look at the actual data. You look at the labor force data, and you you realize that uh, any sort of employment that's happened in the past 10 to 15 years was as a result of people being hired in the public sector. And uh, any sort of growth that we've seen, and we haven't seen any growth, to be quite honest with you, is happening at the management level or at the executive level, but it's within the public sector. So non-productive work. Correct. So Paul, I don't, I've never regarded public sector employment as growth. I've always considered it as shrink. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, because, it's certainly because, shrink. Yeah. Because anything that 
is publicly funded has to come out of somebody who's actually earning the money. In the private sector, right. correct. Yeah, absolutely. So every public dollar was once a private dollar. Right. You know, I always look at public, it's just the way you do it. Public sector money is a drain on yep. the economy. Yes. Because it produces nothing and it makes no positive services available to the people unless it's the doling out yep. of public dollars. It's yes. the trough. It is the people behind the trough saying, okay, Piggy, you line up here, you line up here. Right? Yeah. No pushing, no shoving. Yeah. Other than that, what are they doing? They're not making anything. They're not serving the people anything. They're a waste of time mm -hmm. and of money. Mm -hmm. So if anybody, like the mayor says that, look at all these public sector jobs we have here. I look at that and I go, well, what a waste. Well, and it's interesting because he doesn't even say that. He actually has admitted in the City of the City address for about 20 to 30 seconds. It's the only time he actually admitted this. And he said... I understand that employment levels are still not where it was pre-recession. I understand we have, an, we have an employment issue in the city, and I understand there are many people living in poverty. Then he moved on to with his boosterism. You know, every politician since Caligula <laughs> has said, in, these state of economic, in this state of economic turmoil, yeah. or in this er era of recession, or in this time of economic downturn, that whenever anybody precedes a statement like that, mm -hmm. you know that they're making it up and that that's meant to th make people think that there is a crisis when this is the state of the natural state of, of humanity is always competition, win-loss, um, holding on to your dollars, saving rather than spending, always having debt. That's the natural state. Now, it's how we deal with that that, that tests the mettle of any politician. Step back, get out of the way. That's what I want to hear. Mm -hmm. don't, don't give me any of this nonsense about, you know, oh, it's, it's tough economic times. It's tough economic times, one, because that's the way of the world. Two, because that's probably how, what, how you made it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, and that's the thing, is that since this particular council got into office, and including the mayor, we've actually had about 3,000 less people working. And a lot, significant number of people just being completely discouraged from even looking for work. So, and, and that's a big problem because if you look at it over the years since since the recession, a city like London, Ontario, and, the, and really the industrial rust belt of, of Canada, which in, even in, in America is, is very much similar, you tend to see a significant number of people being discouraged from work and going on social assistance. So in London, we've seen about a 58% increase of people going on social assistance. And Turning to drugs as well. London is a, a center point for major drug addiction now. Yep. Uh, we have a major, major opioid crisis now, an addiction crisis. We have as many people dying uh, who are homeless as the city of Toronto, a city that has seven times the population of London. And these are, these are terrible, terrible statistics for, for a mayor who spent probably 30 to 40 minutes talking about how great the state of the city is. <laughs> so, He's wearing no clothes. Did he have any clothes on when he gave this thing? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't recall. I don't, maybe the deputy mayor was in the room or not, but, but I think it would be dependent on that. <laughs> <laughs> what is the mayor touting as the pluses? What does he see as the pluses? What he said was, you know, we made promises or I made promises when I ran for office. My promises were kept. We have a culture change in City Hall. Yeah, you definitely do have a culture change in City Hall. A lot more people sleeping together. You have, <laughs> you have according to him, a more affordable cost of living in London. 
certainly not the case. He said when he was running for office, I'm only going to raise taxes with inflation. The um, inflation rate is 1.5-1.6% on average. This mayor raised property taxes 3% annually, almost 3% annually. So in the course of his term, he's raised property taxes on Londoners by 12%. Well, worse than that, compounded. Exactly. Then you then you factor in, you know, minimum wage and you factor in hydro costs and you factor in all these things and you start to see a very gloomy picture of what is to come for the local economy here. In certain cities, whether it's in the States or whether it's in Canada, you have mayors and you have councils that recognize there's a problem, but then their policies end up making the problem worse. There's a number of things that this council and this mayor has done that has specifically done that. So any mayor that puts himself forward as a solution or takes credit for any positives that may, the city may, may have is, is kidding himself. He is part of the problem, if not the problem, in, um, that anybody's having out there, especially business. And I'm only glad that President Trump is not considering a wall on the northern border because the time may come very soon. We may just have to cross that river. <laughs> Andy, I'm not usually a betting person, only when I'm going to win, but I bet you that Matt Brown is going to lose. <laughs> yeah, we pretty much agree with that. Some of the details coming out now about the companies, which Matt Brown did not mention, which he did not feel were worthy of uh, recognition, including our giant new casino coming to London, if you can believe it. So if you missed the mayor's uh, speech, it was all about companies that are hiring new people and expanding, had a list about uh, seven or eight of them, uh, and then he concluded with this. So that's the state of the city. Building, growing, creating. Momentum. Promises made and promises kept. A culture change at City Hall. Multi-year budgets with affordable taxes. Hundreds of millions of dollars for rapid transit. A culture change at City Hall. I could get into that in the culture change uh, from uh, Mayor Joe Fontana's problems to Matt Brown's uh, family problems. Yeah, we could get into that, but uh, I digress. Uh, The mayor, when he listed the companies that he wanted to salute for uh, expansions and for hiring new people, and I won't go through the whole list, but there was quite a list of it, about uh, half a dozen, seven or eight of them. Uh, one obvious, obvious uh, admission. I asked uh, CTV's Daryl Newcomb about why uh, the mayor would leave out a Gateway Casinos with their plans for a major casino uh, in London. I spoke with a representative of Gateway Casinos who was in attendance and was certainly hoping to hear some reference to their $140 million, 700-job proposal. But uh, he was left very disappointed afterward. Yeah, that he was uh, not mentioned. In fact, he said it was awful. Well, we're bringing $140 million to the city of London, 700 new jobs. Um, we should have been a part of the story, to be quite frank. No kidding. Now, here's the real kicker. When Daryl Newcomb went to talk to the mayor to ask him why he didn't mention Gateway Casinos, what do you think his answer was? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I forgot. It was a long list, and I I just didn't get to the end. Or, no, we're at a very sensitive stage in the negotiations, and so I can't talk about it. No. Here's the explanation he gave. My jaw is still on the table over this one. Well, I mean, you have a limited amount of time. In a 30-minute speech, he didn't have eight and a half seconds. 
Let me let me just practice this uh, for the mayor to recognize. Hey, want to recognize the great folks at uh, Gateway Casinos for their one hundred and forty million dollar project? Hundreds of new jobs. We're very excited. Welcome to London. What was that? Six seconds. Seven seconds, and he says... Well, I mean, you have a limited amount of time uh, to deliver this speech, and I have to tell you that uh, talks are underway. I think that those talks need to continue. What a pathetic answer. I don't mean to be unkind to Matt Brown, but when asked why he wouldn't include Gateway Casinos, unbelievable. Trucker Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's uh, it's, it's easy to say, though, that Matt still has uh, his head in other places. Unfortunately, the businesses that he didn't talk about are London voters who he could essentially just lose a vote on. He's going to lose anyway, but, I mean, 700 people that uh, OLG is planning on having coming into London or jobs for London, those are people who are going to say, hey, if you didn't support my company, I'm not going to support you. There we go. Appreciate it, uh, Brian. It, it gets worse, folks. It gets worse because when I talk to Amir Farahi, who is a political ana- analyst extraordinaire uh, in London, he said there are other companies that the mayor did not mention, which is really, really hard to imagine. Listen to this. I think there's a there's a there's two other organizations that deserved recognition that didn't get any, and uh, well, I'm not sure what their reaction will be or what their thoughts are, but they're basically on, uh, in the same position as Gateway Casinos is. And I can I can name them for you. Sure. The London Medical Network, which I believe Mr. Paul Pilato is the head of, uh, or at least used to be the head of. Um, I'll have to double check on that. And Tech Alliance received a three million dollar grant from the federal government to establish a program called Burst. The program essentially allows for entrepreneurs to received the, the capital to grow their companies. Absolutely no mention of that. I imagine the reason is because Mr. Papalotto is involved with the Medical Network. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Let's take them one at a time. Why would the mayor not mention uh, Gateway Casinos and their huge project? The reason is because uh, his base of voters have, ha- have had uh, big problems with the casino coming into Old East Village. They believe that it's only going to result in more social problems, which involves gambling and addiction and, and, and more poverty. And so uh, what I imagine happening here is that he believes it is not a popular proposal amongst his voter base. And for that reason, he did not give them the recognition. Okay, so that's the explanation, yours, for not mentioning the Gateway Casino Project. Uh, let's move to number two, the London Medical Network. Again, can you explain why he might not have mentioned them? I think because it's a, it's probably an achievement of Paul Pilato as well as Tech Alliance. Um, I'm not sure what his relationship is with, with the organization, but uh, my understanding is it may not be a very good one, and for that reason uh, they did not get the recognition. Now, you have to realize that Matt Brown actually gave recognition to a company with literally two employees, and um, I'm not even sure what the company does, yet they didn't. You didn't even mention the number of companies that have come out of this new program that was funded by the federal government, $3 million, that have went on to grow rapidly in the city and have created jobs. And it's a shame. It's really a shame. One of the things I've always wondered is what makes 
the problems of London so different from the problems any municipality has? Aren't we the same as any other city? Aren't all cities facing the same basic issues? They've all, they're all, in Ontario at least, dealing with the minimum wage increase. Are all cities facing this? Are, are they all just in a slump? Where do we, where do we rate? Or dead last. Dead last. Yes, we're dead last when it comes to the employment rate, and we're dead last when it comes to the labor force participation rate. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with that specific... Out of how many cities? Are we talking about two or three cities? In Canada. (laughs) In Canada? Yes, it's it's mind-boggling. The situation in London has gone very bad. And if you even look at, for example, child poverty, like we're, we have the third highest child poverty rate in the entire country. And we have essentially 3 million needles handed out. These are safe needles handed out by the Middlesex Health Unit in the city annually. That's more than Toronto and Vancouver. What's happened is as a result of people using unsafe needle practices, so we now have a major HIV epidemic in the city, one that's far worse than any other city in in the province. It is an absolute disaster what's happening to our community here. The biggest problem we have is no leader in any aspect of our city who has come up and really actually acknowledged that we first have a problem before we go ahead and fix it. Well, I, I can see why. How do, you, how do you fix a problem like that? How do you fix an, an addict without forcing him off his drugs, which we don't want to do. We want to actually give him his drugs and make sure he takes it safely. So it seems to me that we're exasperating the problem. That's, that was to my point earlier, right? Yeah. So it's that, it's that these politicians come out and say, well, we know we have a problem, so, but, but their solutions end up making the problem worse. What, what cities are dealing with this successfully? Let's put it that way. Are, are there any that are having better results? Well, let's, their... let's look at a city like Detroit, right? Okay. So a city like Detroit. Two hours away from London. Two hours away from London. Famous Toronto. Went completely bankrupt, defaulted on their debt, and you had... One big influencer in the city, his name's Dan Gilbert, who spent probably two or three billion dollars not only renovating properties, some of which he bought for probably a buck from the municipality, but he really turned that entire downtown uh, around. He invested significant number of dollars, and look, Detroit is making a big comeback. We know a, a large... Well, that, that would mean not just the fact that, that they had this fellow to do this, but yeah. that would mean that the previous politicians had, are no longer there. Yeah. And because they were the problem, weren't they? Correct. Yeah, we, there's, a, there's a really a new, new blood in, in Detroit and really a different strategy and approach. Look, with any city, you got to sell it. And the way you do that is you have a series of people who work for the city, who go out of the city, and who attract companies to the city. It's like any company or any sort of corporation, you have a sales department. I don't remember the last time our mayor went on a trade mission. I don't remember the last time the Economic Development Corporation went on a trade mission because they don't. We have cities around London who do, like they go to Japan. So the mayor of Stratford, which is about 50 minutes away from from London, Ontario, they host the big uh, Shakespeare Festival. He went to Japan on a trade mission. He came back with like, I think, 500 jobs, right? And the only way you cure the problem, the only, the best solution to all this is employment. Employment, employment, employment. Well, then what you're saying is that is municipalities are employment agencies, which I've never regarded a government as being. Uh, if anything, a government should step out of the way to prevent 
employment from not happening. Yeah. And, and usually we've always looked at municipalities as the keepers of the local properties, you know, make sure that the streets are working, the, the, the basic services. And if you had those in place, that alone would attract the businesses that knew that they would have snow shoveling services, reliable sewers, that kind of stuff. What, what's their major priority now? Because once you get into the marketplace, aren't you just sort of mixing government with business? Yeah, the, the, big, the one big problem is that the city, for example, when it comes to, so you were talking about property. So one thing cities do is they tax builders and they do it through development charges. Development charges. So they, they place fees on essentially builders who want to either build a subdivision or a commercial property or industrial property. And so what London has done over the many years is they've increased it significantly. They've really put a limit as to how far the city can grow. So they have an urban growth boundary line. And you can find these in many cities across the world, this kind of practice these days, because it's a new urban planning phenomena. So for example, a, a company might say, hey, look, and we had this problem with Sun Life and Cisco who came to the city and said, look, we want to create 500 jobs, each one of them. So that would total 1,000 jobs for the city of London. But we need to build our facility close to the highway. And unfortunately, it's outside of your urban growth boundary lines. What did the city say? Well, it looks like you're going to have to wait 20 years. I mean, any other city would would die to have Mm -hmm. 1,000 jobs for the many people who are unemployed, right? But so what did Woodstock do? Woodstock is a city 30 minutes away from London, Ontario. That mayor hustles. That mayor goes, talks to businesses, sets up meetings, gets his staff to go help him on trade missions and that sort of thing. The mayor of Woodstock comes and says, well, I'm going to work with private developers and I'm going to make sure that land is available and abundant along the major highway in Ontario, Highway 401. And I'm going to make sure that when companies are approached by us, or they approach us, that we give them what they need to be successful. And what's happened over the past, I'd say, five to 10 years is Woodstock has seen explosive growth economically, and their population has grown by over 40%. And London remains stagnant because we're not willing to work with business. We're not willing to provide what's necessary for businesses to invest in the city. And what's causing that? Like, I mean, we have these elected politicians who are there promising jobs and then consciously going out and preventing them from happening. Yeah, oftentimes these decisions are made by uh, administration. So like a planning department in any municipality might be very ideological and very idealistic in the way they approach certain things. And so they might suggest policies that clearly hinders the ability for businesses to invest in the city and grow in the city, but they don't really care about that because they've got this social engineering idea of how the city should grow, how the city should look like, and all that well, kind of I, stuff. I find this whole social engineering, quite frankly, offensive. It's beyond social engineering, uh, although I agree with that, that they have a philosophy that they're trying to, and an agenda that they're trying yes. to push. But I think if people, our listeners, go back and uh, to our webpage and search for guest Arden Kaplansky they will discover that it goes beyond simple philosophy. Um, The implementation of that philosophy is a corruption favoring some developers over others. That certainly happens, is that the planning, uh, people within a planning department may or may not get kickbacks from a developer once uh, their their subdivision or their big high-rise building or whatever it may be, industrial 
property is approved, right? So, because typically what happens is you go and get a permit, you go to the planning department for pre-consultation. If you get your permit approved, then it go, then it goes to the committee at at the local council or whatever. And so, the planning department has tremendous amount of power. And what they may do is they may engage in corruption, like you said, and that becomes a big problem. But that's kind of you don't have any evidence of that, do you? As such, because but what kind of corruption? Are they actually pocketing money personally? Because you think that would be I, easy. I to never trace. said the current planning department is doing that. I have yeah. no idea. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying I have read instances in other cities. Okay, where and, and you happens. just go back to the show we had Arnon on, and you will find out that what they can do to a small developer, and and Arnon Komplanski is a, an infill developer. He's done some amazing work mm-hmm. in this city. Yeah, you'd think he'd be the kind of guy they're especially looking for with their own plans. Yeah, but the thing is that he doesn't fit in with their the Agenda 21 type plans. Mm-hmm. He wants to gentrify old neighborhoods, and, and while some of the planners, I think, in many in many of our major cities, want to, in the in the proper sense of the word, rape the city, destroy the old character of a city, and actually benefit the donors <laughs> to well, their political you know, agenda by allowing them to raise particular structures, which you and I might consider to be uh, just another one of those strip malls or tall apartment buildings. Yes. And it, it's a very complex issue, and not everybody is doing what I'm suggesting they're doing. However, it goes on, and I think it gets worse when you have a quote-unquote liberal, progressive type of government. It, it enables it. The kind of thing that was more bothering me, I think, is the kind of thing that would bother everyone, whether they're in some industry or not. And that's stupid things like all these traffic calming things the city's getting into and spending a fortune on. Now that's part of the uh, get out of your car type of agenda, yeah, which again is a socialist engineering agenda. And again, it's offensive. Totally. But I have to go through, uh, uh, you know, just one of the neighborhoods here and can barely get by the other car because they've made some section of the road unnecessarily narrow for no reason at all. I, I just can't believe it. And in the wintertime, you have to watch out for curbs jutting out right into the road. That's insanity. Am I missing something? Well, there, there's a clear ideological agenda to... Yeah, insanity. Yeah, yeah to, <laughs> to, to get rid of really private ownership of, of different assets, right? So whether it's a vehicle, whether it's a property... They want you to live in more densely dense neighborhoods and apartments like the ones you see in maybe Tokyo, where you've got 100, 200 square feet apartment and you have to sort of squeeze in there and then you can't own a vehicle. So you got to use public transit. Um, and so everything is public. It's it's sort of more around common ownership rather than private ownership. But that's never worked anywhere in the world. Why are they going in that direction? That That's why I call it insane. It's, I, would, it's, I wouldn't necessarily use Tokyo, though, I mean, with all respect, as an example of this social engineering, because I think that that was a, a sort of a natural That is natural. I was growth. just, you're right. In Tokyo, it happened naturally. But what I'm trying to say is they're trying to create more dense and compact neighborhoods, especially in the core of the city, and move and force everyone to the downtown. Probably more like Shanghai, I I would say, or 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 Seoul, Korea, because I once flew over Seoul, Korea, and I swear for an hour, all I saw was concrete jungle. And it looked like every building looked the same. And I'm going, how can anybody want to live in such an environment? While if you go over Tokyo, and I've been to Tokyo, It's actually a fantastically beautiful city and very, oh, it is. It's very pedestrian beautiful. friendly. Yep. The trains run on time. Yep. Yep. It's an amazing marvel. 
Yes. Of social um, structure. Yes. Well, let's bring in CTV uh, reporter uh, Daryl Newcomb, uh, who uh, was uh, taking notes and watching the speech with uh, meticulous uh, eyes, uh, the eyes of a hawk, as Daryl Newcomb always uh, does, and he joins us now. Daryl, appreciate you joining us. Anytime, Andy. How'd the mayor do? Uh, the actual delivery itself was good, but almost immediately afterwards, you started to hear criticisms. But again, we are in an election year. When was the moment when you said, I wonder why he did what I want to ask him about? If you want to look at a speech, you, you can listen to what is said, and the other way to look at it is to listen for what isn't spoken about. And, you know, when it comes to what isn't spoken about, uh, that was very apparent uh, to anyone who's a close observer of City Hall, and that's the casino proposal, that uh, $140 million, 700-job proposal. While he was going down listing 12 jobs here, 22 jobs there, 50 jobs here, and this development and that development, he, he even with representatives of Gateway Casinos in the room, he failed to mention them, and they certainly were not pleased to hear, uh, not hear their uh, proposal even mentioned. It's certainly interesting. We'll have to see what comes of it in the coming weeks. No kidding. No kidding. Okay, before we let you go, uh, anything else in the speech, um, either particularly uh, sour for you or particularly notable or noteworthy? Well, I think notable um, only because it's the topic that people always want to talk about, especially on your show, is bus rapid transit. And, uh, you know, the mayor doubled down on his support for bus rapid transit today. Um, in his words, he said to suggest anything less than this plan that he, was, he has currently been pitching is selling Londoners short. Londoners deserve better. BRT light is London light. Opposing social visions, intellectuals in society, quote, at the heart of the social vision prevalent among contemporary intellectuals is the belief that there are problems and solutions, yes. close quote. Explain that. Well, the, the people with the vision of the anointed, as I call it, believe there are solutions and that intellectuals have the inside track in providing those solutions. Those with the opposite vision understand there are no solutions. There are trade-offs. And, uh, you know, you, you can make this a little bit better by making something a little bit worse. Or you can make it a little bit better by making something a lot worse. And that, right now, for example, this mania for high-speed rail, there's no question that if you're willing to pour enough money down the rat hole, we can have high-speed rail. We can have it. They have it in Spain. Uh, one, one of the economics professors in Spain said, you know, not only are they not covering the operating costs, there's not been one dollar collected towards the infrastructure. I mean, like the rails and the trains, they haven't gotten one dollar to pay for that. They're not even covering the cost of running the trains on a daily basis. You know, the, the conductors and the electricity. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past archived broadcasts 
featuring our past discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. And we're in studio with Amir Farahi, Executive Director of the London Institute. Speaking of social engineering, <laughs> isn't that what BRT really is? Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're, if you're designing a transportation mobility plan that wants to get someone from point A to point B faster, regardless of modal bias. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a vehicle. It doesn't have to be a public transit, cycling or whatever. You're just trying to make sure people can move more efficiently in the city. That's an okay plan. That's an okay, I wouldn't consider that social social engineering. But with a bus rapid transit plan, similar to the one we see in London or in any other city that's considering rapid transit, what tends to happen is these planners are trying to force people to come to the downtown even though there may be no demand for people wanting to be in the downtown or really no market there for people to want to be there so they try to force everyone there they try to restrict the physical growth of the city by creating these various corridors is what they call them and uh, they 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 just assume that they can somehow with this plan and with what they're doing which is to clog the streets increase traffic, force people out of their cars and onto the bus. Well, this sounds very related to what you were talking about earlier, when businesses want to come into into the city but be near the highway. Yeah. And they don't want them there. Obviously, they want them downtown. Yeah. They haven't built the BRT yet. Or there may be no demand for businesses to be in the downtown. No, well, clearly. If your public transportation system, whether you the one existing right now or the one you're designing and you call it rapid transit, is going to be less efficient than an automobile, you're not going to convince people to use the public transit. So people are still going to use their vehicles. And for the employees of the many companies who are considering a location, they're going to want to make sure they have available parking. The other thing they want to make sure is that there aren't as many social issues. There isn't this street culture in the area of their employment. So you don't have people banging on your doors and breaking your windows and vandalizing your 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 corporate office, right? Something that happens quite regularly in in the downtown. You don't want to go walk out of the your corporate office and see panhandlers everywhere, people shooting drugs. That's the kind of environment that exists right now in in the downtown. But that's and, the kind of environment our municipal councillors want, isn't it? Isn't, aren't they the ones that are into no mobility to to reduce the mobility to get people all stuck in one area so that they're forced to use their services? That is true. That's exactly what they want. Now, what's ironic is that over the past many years, what City Hall has done here in London is they've waived the development charges we talked about earlier because they're trying to create more intensification. If you want to build in the downtown, then what we will do is we'll waive that development charge fee that that we are imposing on you. So just incentivize more development. Recently, as of 2017, they've said we're no longer going to waive it. So you're, if you want to build, you know, a high-rise condo, well, not too bad. Now you're going to have to fork out five, six million dollars in development charges. So, I think they're either idiots or they're really out of their mind, like crazy. Because if you think that you're going to restrict growth of the city physically, and you're going to have more developers build in the core, and then you take away that development charge fee that you once said you would wait for them and now impose it onto the developers, there is no way anyone is going to want to build in downtown. You're just going to outright kill the entire city. Just financially bankrupt the city. Well, apparently the whole province is in on it. Haven't uh, the liberals just 
said that they're that they'll support it. Provincial liberals. The BRT, you mean? Yeah, the BRT system. Yeah. And uh, where are we at with that right now? Like, is this a done deal? Are we going to get this monster? My understanding elephant? is the federal government has now said uh, they they will need to examine the the process further. You're, we're talking about corruption, and there is a very fine example of corruption from the very Minister of Transportation who announced the $170 million of funding towards bus rapid transit, Minister Del Duca. Apparently, in a Toronto Star report in October 2017, folks can look it up, the Metrolink's board received an internal report by staff recommending to the board that they should not build two GO transit stations in the Toronto area. They said, don't do it, build it in the next decade. It's going to be a big white elephant. The board that's appointed by the Minister of Transportation, Del Duca, same person who gave the funding to London's Bus Rapid Transit Project, said, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kick you out of the board and I'm going to replace you. Can you believe that? And so the board had to make a decision contrary to the internal report and fund those two GO Transit stations, regardless of the fact that the evidence said, do not build. And we have the same situation now here in London, is we have this Minister of Transportation who didn't even receive the environmental assessment, which is to be completed in August and September of this year, and violated that regulation and decided to fund a project only on a basis of a business case. So let's speculate here. What reasons, hypothetically speaking, of course, would a minister have for doing something, creating a deliberately creating a white elephant, throwing money at something that is not going to be used? I can think of two reasons. What can you think of? It's certainly possible that... uh, Hypothetically. Hypothetically. (laughs) And and, and, and not this minister, but any any sort of... Any other minister, but not this one. (laughs) It's possible that uh, the the minister could get, uh, in any sort of province or state, a kickback from the consultants who produce the reports and the company that is contracted to build the entire system out. So cronyism is one. That's one of the two I was thinking of. The other one... Can you think what I'm thinking? Well, well, it's political. Yeah, it is political. It's the, like, oh, look at these GO stations we've built for uh, the, the mobility of, uh, of our Torontonian citizens, and, and people don't even know that they're not being used. Yep, exactly. And in fact, there is a particular lib- liberal candidate locally who is now replacing the, the former liberal MPP, Deb Matthews, and her name is Kate Graham, and she was working at the city, and she was actually doing government relations work. She is a big fan of bus rapid transit, and her voter base really wants it, really wants this thing. And so she knows that she had to get that funding from the Liberal government in order to be uh, successful. Now, shouldn't we be looking more at things like Uber and services like that for public transit? I find yeah. it interesting that it was just released this week that um, Uber is taking a huge chunk of the the taxi industry in the city. And they're, ta- they're talking about it as an attack on the taxi industry. When I look at, at it, no, Uber is the taxi industry. You guys are the problem. You're, fa- you're phasing out, and yet they see themselves as a permanent industry representative when they're not, no longer serving the needs of the people they're serving. Absolutely. And even Uber drivers themselves are going to one day face a crisis where they can no longer drive their vehicles because Uber is either going to have an autonomous f- fleet of yeah, vehicles available yeah. for the public 
or another company will come into the city and, and provide that service and it'll be 80% cheaper because 80% of the cost of Uber right now goes towards labor. And if they eliminate the driver, well, that's either 80% growth in your margins as a company for profit or you reduce prices by 80% and you have more demand now for 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 your product. So you know, I'm not a Luddite, but I can't see autonomous cars driving in the streets of London. Me neither. When they don't even clear the streets of London from <laughs> of snow. Yes, <laughs> that was a big problem this year when we had the snowstorms, right? The chair of the Transportation Commission in California said, buses will be obsolete in 20 years. Buses will be obsolete. Yeah, it seems to me. And you know what the city that we currently live in is doing? Is they're investing half a billion dollars in a system that will be implemented in 10 years, and then 10 years later, the buses are obsolete. Yeah. Hey, you know what, Ralph? I was just thinking. Hey, you know, there's, there's a lot of good drivers in the bus company. You've been driving out for 14 years without an accident. I mean, how come some of the other fellas haven't been able to do that? How do you account for that? Well, Norton... It's like everything else. Group of men are picked to do a job, trained in the same fashion as each other. But there's always one man in the group that stands out far in front of the others. Yeah, I guess you're right there, Ralph. If you stood out any more in front, you wouldn't be able to get behind the wheel of a bus. seen enough. All right, what do you got on him? Nothing. He's clean. Nothing. Must have something rotten in his past. He's human, isn't he? Look, I've done every background check personally. There's nothing. It's like he fell out of the sky. What about drinking? No. Gambling? No. Bad checks, tax evasion? No. Pornography, drug addiction, bad hairpiece? No! <laughs> Zero divided by zero. Zip, nada, bupkis. Bupkis, huh? What, what, what does bupkis mean? Nothing. I thought so. You know, it's almost as if he were Amish. Damn! No pass, no experience, no record. The perfect candidate. You know, I have recently saw on television... Jordan Peterson, Professor Jordan Peterson being interviewed on Channel 4. And I would like to say that Jordan B. Peterson gives me hope, but it's not Jordan B. Peterson that gives me hope. It's the people coming out to his lectures and his book deals, coming out there and giving him a standing ovation when he enters the auditorium. There is hope that the people out there are bucking the trend of the politicians And I understand that um, your institute has just done a poll, which I think can also give us hope, at least here in this sleepy little burg. Can you tell us about your poll? What our poll indicates is that if an election were held today amongst all the respondents, and we polled about 1,000 people, which in a city like London is a fairly large sample size, I would say. The poll is a scientific poll, and I'd say it's decently accurate. The respondents said that they would vote for Paul Chang. A conservative. A conservative who was part of the Reform Party in the 90s mm-hmm. and uh, absolutely anti-establishment in all aspects of it. 
Would you would you call him like a Trump? Or is he establishment yeah. in the conservative sense? No, I would say he's he's very similar to a Trump-like person or even, even a Rob Ford. And uh, certainly the other candidates as well, whether it's Paul Pilato who came in at 4.7% and Phil Squire at 8.5%, these are also candidates who oppose the current mayor and his agenda. And I would even say Councillor Josh Morgan, who pulled in at 4.4%, is also opposed to the mayor's agenda. Yeah, but those are very small numbers. How did Mayor Matt Brown uh, fare in this poll? The mayor came in at 10%, uh. and he's behind Paul Chang by by 10%. Yeah. Paul Chang got about 20% of the vote. Now, what's key about this poll is there's about 52.2% of people who are undecided. And there's a number of reasons for that. One is because they may not be happy with the roster of candidates. But not everybody has declared yet either. Correct. Um, they may think that uh, it's too early and that they don't know too much about the candidates that are either in this poll or who have declared they are going to run. It may also be that they're tuned out of politics. You know, municipal elections generally in any kind of city has low voter turnout. And so that, that those were those were probably the reasons. The other thing is these are all men who are running. And for some females, it might be an issue. And we, we kind of got a hint of that because the mayor has, is doing really badly with the female vote, very badly. Well, that could harken back to his indiscretions as a, when he was... Exactly. Um, yeah, let, okay, let's not go there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's too descriptive. <laughs> so th- those are probably the reasons, right? So the affair, like you mentioned, is, is definitely one of them. And that's, that's why um, Cheng is doing so well. The other reason why he's doing so well in this poll is because people see it when they, when they got a call it was almost like it was a redo election for them. Uh, so they were reminded of the previous election, just given the fact that Chang is running again and, you know, with Matt and stuff. And they felt a sense of regret, probably. You know, they, they regret voting for a mayor who's been so incompetent and such an abysmal failure for the city. And so that's why they're voting for someone like Chang or they're voting for a Palato or they're voting for a Squire. It seems like the pendulum goes back and forth all the time, doesn't it? Yeah, but I would say with someone like Chang, it could be really an explosive change if he does end up getting elected. He really is wanting to fix up the structural issues with with the city, whether it's economic, social, and that sort of thing. So, and I mean, other candidates do as well, but the ones has, that oppose has, has Chang proposed anything concrete that that would suggest he's I mean, going to be leading in the right direction? There are a couple of things. The one problem is that he's only really talked about bus rapid transit. Yeah, and that's a, that's a hot-button issue. Hot-button issue, and we actually did an issues poll, and we found out that it is the top priority issue just after jobs in the economy, which makes sense given what we just talked about right earlier in the segment. But he, is, he has been coming out very critical of bus rapid transit, but I haven't yet seen a concrete plan from Paul Chang. The other issue is in the previous election, some of his weaknesses were that he was talking about provincial issues even though he was running a municipal campaign. And so what ended up happening is there were a lot of critics that said, well, you know, healthcare and education is not something that a municipality can can get involved with. So, But, you know, I, from speaking personally, I, I've run in a number of local campaigns. And when I was knocking on doors, I was running, running for school trustee. People would ask me, federal issue questions. Where are you on yeah, gun you control? Can't get away from it. I go, well, I'm running for a school trustee. Yeah, but where do you stand on gun control? They ask the question because they want to know what kind of person I am. Where, what's my philosophy? What's my ideology? 
that I understand. And, and I know many people who get asked that question. It makes total sense. But the, the unique thing is that with Chang is he actually made it part of his platform which was different than other candidates where That's, they were focusing. Yes, That's right? true. That's different. Anyways, that was the big, big thing. So a lot of people thought, well, maybe he's not too familiar with local politics or local issues. Maybe he hasn't done his due diligence and research and figuring out exactly what's happening in the city and perhaps providing comments and a plan, a concrete plan on that. So those those were obviously the, the criticisms that he got. But but yeah, overall, it just it, it does seem like this poll indicates to me that the mayor is going to have a very, very tough time He's, he's in big trouble. And he's in big trouble because you combine Councillor Phil Squire's vote with Paul Chang, and you've got about 73% of the city saying they're not satisfied with his performance. Okay, you're talking about Paul, Paul Chang or someone mm-hmm. like him. Is even BRT really a local issue? Because it wouldn't exist if it weren't for provincial and federal funding, would it? No, it, it wouldn't. There, was, there would be no way. Now, what's fascinating is when Matt Brown was running for office, he did run on a bus rapid transit platform. So he did say, my transportation plan is to implement bus rapid transit. But you would be quite surprised to know what dollar figure he attached to his plan. He said, if I'm elected in 2014 and I implement bus rapid transit, the total cost would be $280 million. The share of the local municipality would only be $70 million. Fast forward to today, and bus rapid transit costs half a billion dollars. And that's the promise we're given. Now, once it comes to execution, well, that number and that figure is definitely going to increase, just just like it does with any kind of project to this magnitude. Sure, and the length of time it would take to complete it would also be... They say 10 years, it's probably going to take 15. Yeah. Which other huge issues, like yeah. the city's poverty, like the city's drug issue. Yep. Like I, I heard that we were called a, a medium-sized city with a large city's drug problem. Uh, it's true. Is that a provincial issue or a, or a municipal issue? What can, what can a, a mayor actually do about anything like that? Yeah, well, it, it, certainly is, it certainly is a provincial or federal issue because the municipality doesn't have the resources to be able to do anything with that. Now, there are a whole bunch of different propositions out there as to how you go about dealing with an addiction crisis. I'm not an expert in that by no stretch of the imagination. So, But what we heard from the health unit locally is that we need supervised injection sites in the, in the city. And supervised injection sites is a proposal that has been given by health units in various cities in North America and Europe and that sort of thing. Vancouver is a city that does have supervised injection sites. But what they found and what police are concerned with is, well, one, you're enabling someone to go into a facility and shoot drugs benefit of that from a, from a medical perspective is that people are not getting needles that have been used by someone else who may have mm. HIV. And the reason why our HIV epidemic has gone really bad is because people are sharing dirty needles. And so that what, what the health unit would provide is clean needles to people who are facing addiction. And so what you're really doing is you're making addiction a little bit more safe, but you're not really eliminating addiction. Now the health unit says, okay, well, we can provide counseling services once they're in and they're getting their needle and we can talk to them and, and provide counseling support services for them. But to what extent that works, we have absolutely no proof. And police are concerned because now you've got people who are maybe wanting to deal drugs around that facility, you know, drug dealers and that sort of thing. Well, I think and that's, crime kind of, and that's kind of proof and evidence that's building. And, and there's another issue that, that seems to, to me not to be a municipal issue, but I saw that our city is seeking funding to fight climate change. 
yeah, that happens pretty regularly. Yeah, and, and well, that's not a municipal issue to fight climate change, is it? When did we vote for them to fight climate change? <laughs> well, they might want to build more barriers or maybe elevate the concrete levels around the Thames River, you know, just in case there is a flooding, because they assume that maybe in the next few years or maybe in the next few months, because of elevated water levels, there may be a flood. <laughs> We're 900 feet above sea level. <laughs> yeah, well... Again, if you go and talk to people at the Upper Thames Conservation Authority, that's what they'll type, according to well, them. Well, I remember when they wanted us to stop idling at fast food restaurants. Oh, yes, at the right. Tim Hortons drive through Yeah, issue. shut your car off or actually get rid of drive throughs altogether. Yeah. Or actually part of the globalist agenda about climate change is getting people out of cars, which goes back to what we were talking about before. The speed bumps making it almost impossible to go through a neighborhood without damaging your car, especially if you've got a low-rise car. Yeah, well, and and the share of whatever emissions of carbon dioxide in a province like Ontario is like not even, it's like, it's negligible across the entire planet, right? It's not even harmful emissions. I think it's like, it's in the decimals in terms of its contribution. It's the largest province in the country. Well, if I had Matt Brown across the table here and I wanted to ask him a question about climate change, my first question would be, what do you know about the Navier-Stokes equations? <laughs> or what about the Milankovitch cycles? Can you, what can you tell me about that? Yeah. If he can't answer those questions, he's not qualified to even talk about climate well, change. Well, he's not even qualified to be mayor, so let alone that. <laughs> well, well I mean, they, we did vote him in, didn't we? Yeah, well, you know, he, he was, he was a, uh, a supply teacher for drama classes, so. Oh, just like the, uh, the, the prime minister of the country? Well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? It also explains why I think we should all be taking drugs, because that's the only you way. You know, there is a positive correlation between the fact that we rank last in employment oh, absolutely. standards uh, or involvement and high on drugs. <laughs> ah, yes. High on our drug problem. I mean, there's a direct correlation. Oh, there. absolutely. Absolutely. People, look, people lose their jobs. And that causes potentially issues at home. You might see more divorce. And there are a lot of social factors. Then that person gets a lot of stress and there's a lot of pressure and they don't have a job. They can't find one. They may end up using drugs to relieve them from the pain they're experiencing either at home or whatever. It's a symptom. And and then you get into this trap, right? And then it's, it's very hard to get out of, right? Well, Amir, we're in a trap, and that's the end of our hour, and we'll have to let it go. And thank you for joining us again. It's been a really uh, stimulating conversation. I don't really have a lot of hope for the municipality here ever moving in the right direction. But that's what we'll do again next week, so join us again then when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Oh, that poor man is a nervous wreck What he needs is something to make him relax, calm him down Wish we had some tranquilizers Yeah, tranquilizers No, that's no good We don't have a prescription (laughs) Wait a minute Mr. Howell may have some He's always taking pills for something or other Yeah, I'll go ask him Hi, Mrs. Howell, Mr. Howell. Mr. Howell, do you have any tranquilizers? Well, of course I do, Gilligan. Every big businessman uses tranquilizers. Makes him calm enough so he can take the rest of his pills. <laughs> Could I borrow some, please? It's very important. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, they're in my pillowcase. They're in the shelter. Oh, you stay there, darling. You relax, and I'll go get them. Ah, there we are. Oh, how did these get in here? <laughs> now, uh, let's see. What did I want this for? Oh, yes, yes. My arthritis. Of course, arthritis. Lovey, my pet. Do you remember which one of my shoulders hurt? I mean, I was... Oh, no? Uh, no, dear. You asked me to get these for Gilligan. 
Gilligan, well, he seems much too young for arthritis. No, dear. Gilligan came in for tranquilizers. Tranquilizers, of course, tranquil. Here they are. They would have bitten me. There they are, tranquilizers. We only need a couple, Mr. Howell. That's perfectly all right. Take the whole... Plenty more, plenty more. Thank you, sir. Lovey, that is the younger generation for you. Medication for everything and anything. Yep. 